The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning, I'm Kate, and I have to tell you, the more I learn, the more I'm inspired by the world of my guest today, science author, innovation consultant, and conservationist, Janine Benyus. A self-proclaimed nature nerd, Janine Benyus' concept of biomimicry has galvanized scientists, architects, designers, and engineers into exploring whole new ways in which nature's successes can inspire humanity. We're going to learn today to see, as Janine sees, and contemplate an approach to innovation that's truly world-changing. Good morning, Janine. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm so glad to have you with me. Same here. Thank you. Well, you know, our show today, I think, will be full of fresh ideas for our listeners, and I want to share a little bit more with them about you, Janine, before we get started. And I realize that, you know, we're sort of giving some some biographical background, but I think that the work you do and the way you do it is going to be of interest. So um, for those listening, Janine is a biologist. She's the author of six books, including Biomimicry, Innovation Inspired by Nature, which introduced a broad audience, including me, to the concept of looking to nature for breakthrough ideas on improving products and manufacturing methods. In 1998, she co-founded the Biomimicry Guild, the world's first bio-inspired consultancy, bringing nature's sustainable designs to more than 250 clients, and we know many of these names, Boeing, Nike, General Electric, Herman Miller, IDO, Procter & Gamble, and many more. In 2006, Janine co-founded the Biomimicry Institute, home today of asknature.org, an online library of life's best ideas. I love that. And in 2011, she launched Biomimicry 3.8 to train, equip, and connect the growing network of biomimicry professionals worldwide. Janine has received numerous awards, including the 2011 Heinz Award. She was Times 2007 international hero of the environment. And, you know, Janine, as I contemplate all that you've been able to do, you really have galvanized scientists, architects, designers, engineers, all kinds of people into new explorations. So I'm curious, tell us about you. How did you come into this? Well, you know, it's, you were right. I'm, I'm, I am a nature nerd and I have been since I was very young um, and just fascinated by the natural world. And um, I've been in a deep observation for a long time, uh, and my my desire was not to start biomimicry. You know that that was a that was something that was a, a delight delightful surprise to me, to tell you the truth. Uh, I what I really wanted to do with my career was to try to. Um, help people fall in love with the natural world by uh, understanding it. So as a science writer, you know, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to um, sort of say to people, look at this, look at this, how amazing 
this organism is um, and what it can do. And as I began to, to write these books, I realized, wait a minute, <laughs> these organisms um, have been working on their designs for 3.8 billion years on their technologies. Mm-hmm. And they know how to you know, swim without using fossil fuels and how to fly and how to dive to the bottom of the ocean, how to do chemistries that are absolutely safe and how to make miracle materials. And, and I thought this is exactly what we are looking for right now. We're looking for a sustainable way, a sane way, a safe way uh, to live on this earth over the long haul. And the simple answer was that that's already been done. A sustainable world already mm-hmm. exists. And uh, it, it's, it was just that the people who make our world, you know, the engineers at Boeing who are making the plane that you fly on, um, they don't know about the, the natural world. They're not biologists. And so th- I, I realized that um, there was this opportunity to move the ideas from the natural world um, into design um, and have designers and, and architects and engineers and chemists actually be apprentices to nature's already evolved uh, technologies. And so I began to look to see if that was being done. This was back in 1990. Mm-hmm. And I saw uh, a faint signal in the scientific literature, which I read every day, that showed me that people, the first ones I saw were, you know, people who were studying leaves in order to create a better solar cell. And I said, here it is. But it didn't have a name. Um, so I had the, the immense privilege and opportunity to actually name this emerging field of looking to nature for inspiration and, uh, and called it biomimicry. Um, and I really... Um, I did not know what I was getting into. I, I thought I was just reporting on this and saying, look over here. This is not only is the natural world amazing, but now people are actually learning from it and creating new inventions that are as elegant as, as those in the natural world. Uh, and after the book came out, um, the world <laughs> started to call a lot of companies started to call, inventors called, and and they said, um, gee, you know, I would love to do this. Um, you wrote in your book about, you know, people learning from spider silk and how to make new fibers and people learning from prairies how to do new kinds of agriculture and um, how to even create a business like a forest. And, and we're inventing every day. Could you send some biologists over to inspire us? And, and teach us. And, of course, that career hadn't, you know, there was no such thing as a biologist at, a des- at the design table then. And uh, basically when, you know, when the, when the universe got sort of asked that question, you know, that, that, and, and sort of showed me that, yeah, there, should, there is possibility that there could be a career in this, and we could do this in real time, inspire engineers to create um, safer materials with, you know, products with less material and less toxins um, and, you know, fewer energy needs. Um, I thought this is perhaps what 
I've been preparing for all my life. And and so um, at that point, I met my business partner, Dana Baumeister, and mm-hmm. uh, this was 14 years ago now, and we've been doing this ever since. Wow. You, you know, you say, I, I felt, wow, I was... I've been preparing for this all my life, and I'm curious, you know, what is the preparation that made you um, that person in the moment who could see this, do you think? Well, you know, it's when I look back on my other five books, they <laughs> are um, they're all about plant and animal adaptations. You know, they're about um, how is it that Shark skin um, has no bacteria on it. Um, I would ask these questions. You know, how is it that a that a giraffe, even though it's got this in, incredibly long, you know, big separation between its heart and its ankles, it doesn't get edema. You know, in its ankles, it doesn't have pooling of water in its ankles. How does that happen? What is it about the vascular system? I asked these questions, um, and I was fascinated with how life solves its functional challenges in order to live on this earth um, and how it does it in a way that actually enhances this place, right? So we're meeting our needs too, but in our short period of time of we've only been on earth 200,000 years versus 3.8 billion, in our short period of time, some of the ways we've solved things have had unintended consequences. I realized that these organisms, if they had a toxic, you know, invention, um, that natural selection would select. If, if it had a, if it had to choose between a way of, of building a nest that was non-toxic versus using toxic materials to build a nest, obviously natural selection is going to choose the one that's non-toxic because the chicks will do better. And so over long periods of time, what we've wound up with is basically the answers to what we're asking right now, a a sustainable world, a a high-tech sustainable world. And so I think just studying that, you know, and doing those five books over, gosh, over 15 years, immersed literally in life's adaptations to place. Um, and how exquisitely life is matched to this place, the earth. And then at the same time, going through the heartbreak of reading our environmental transgressions. You know, I, I'm an environmentalist and I was reading all the time the, you know, really depressing news, um, as we kind of drew out the problem space and articulated the problem space. And here I sat with the answers, also reading the answers, but nobody outside of the biological sciences knew about them. You know, it's amazing. I mean, Janine, in this moment here, we're going to take a break, but I'm, was it an epiphany? I mean, did you have a moment where you, where you just said, wow, here it, here it all is? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, you know, I, I think it was, it, it came out of sort of, uh, you know, incredulity at first. I mean, I basically found out that solar cells were not based on leaves to begin with, the silicon solar cells. And I went, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? <laughs> and then, you know, that's so natural. And then when when I went and started to find things that where people were actually doing it, I said, wait a minute, 
we're beginning we're beginning to get to get smart about this. Well, you know, we're going to take a break, Janine, and I'm I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I, I feel that in so many ways, just even listening to you, the hair on the back of my neck is rising. I, I think this this such a clearly these are our answers. So we'll be right back. And for those listening, I'm Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. And my guest is Janine Bennis. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. We're hearing more and more about the cloud and how we're using the cloud in our daily lives, whether we're aware of it or not. How can the cloud help your business? Join Bonnie D. Graham every Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time for In the Cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel, and learn how to make your business soar to new heights. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Janine Benyus, whose book, Biomimicry, Innovation Inspired by Nature, is a doorway into the fascinating revelation that nature offers solutions to the problems of our times. My guest, Janine Benyus, was honored recently by First Lady Michelle Obama at the White House National Design Awards in July, where she received the Design Mind Award from the Smithsonian's Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum. This award is given in recognition of a visionary person, such as an educator, author, critic, curator, or designer who's had a profound impact on design theory, practice, or public awareness. This is such a big honor, and I know that this month you're going to be celebrating that award again, Janine. Thank you very much for being with me today and sharing what you what you see with us. You bet. You know, we were talking right before the break about, um, you know, how you discovered that, you know, even as you were sort of tracking the uh, the, the negative story about the planet and the future, you suddenly realized, wait a minute, I'm, I've got these answers. I've, we have the answers right here in front of us. And I'm curious, you know, um, tell, tell us about what, what's the, you know, as I listen to you speak about this so clearly and with such passion, what's the belief at the heart of your work, would you say? What is it you truly believe that's really motivating you here? Hmm. 
You know, I truly believe that the way to become a welcome species on this planet as human beings um, is, yes, perhaps through amazing technologies, but that's not really at the heart of it. I think at the heart of it, um, if we were to, to develop one stance towards the rest of the natural world, that would allow us to fit in. It would be respect. That's what I realized. I realized that the environmental movement was reaching out and showing people polar bears on icebergs, and there was pity, but that's not a very powerful or useful emotion compared to respect. Mm -hmm. If we were to respect the rest of the natural world, the organisms who have lived here far longer than us, as biological elders who actually could teach us how to be earthlings, you know, how to live here over long periods of time, um, if we were to respect them as equals or even as mentors, then um, good behavior would not have to be legislated. We would naturally um, think twice before destroying whole habitats full of these teachers and these mentors. That's, that's really at the base of it. Um, and I've watched, as I, I chronicled, people working in biomimicry and studying these organisms. Um, I watched their respect blossom. Because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not that easy, really, to go from where we are in industrial Western industrial culture, and then, you know, we, we do things so differently now that we think it's natural. We think it's natural to, for instance, when you make uh, uh, ceramic, for instance, um, we think it's natural to a piece of glass, for instance. We think it's natural to heat it up at high, high temperatures with all kinds of toxins and high pressures, what material scientists call heat, beat, and treat. But when you look at glass that's formed in the ocean, for instance, you know, the skeleton, skeletons of uh, diatoms or, or sponges, that's glass that they use to make their skeleton, but they make it, you know, at body temperature, in water, without toxins. So there's a whole other way of doing things that is out there in the natural world. But what it really takes is quieting human cleverness and hmm. and then listening and then literally becoming a student of the natural world. And, and what I realized was um, that that's not a stance that we in Western industrial culture have had towards the natural world for a long, long time. Um, that that feeling of humility, that feeling of teach me, um, and and that that is at the base of not only how we will find these solutions, but also how we will ultimately treat the rest of the natural world. And every species um, goes through a period, every biological species, of trying to fit in in its habitat. And that's where we are right now. And I think for us, that cultural shift, you know, the change, the change of heart, really, um, is, is what 
is going to, to really turn us around. And for me, um, biomimicry starts there. And so for me, it's a very powerful thing. It's a very practical thing in that it actually solves problems, um, but it's a very profound thing as well. Oh, my goodness. You just said so many interesting things, and, and I, I'm stuck on this thing. You just said a moment ago about every species goes through a period of trying to fit into its habitat, and that's where we are now. And I'm sort of harking back to the, what you said a moment ago about the cleverness of how we solve our problems. Is there, um, you know, is there time? Do we have time to learn f- from nature? Kate, we, we, um, uh, we, I have a huge sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, since I started this work, I mean, our, our, um, understanding now of, of how, how really dramatically we've changed our habitat, the earth, the biome that we live in. Um, there are people who say, you know, there is a, a 10 year window here where we really need to get busy. I, here's how I, you know, find my relief. Um, number one, there's 30 to 100 million species. And so we don't have to invent these solutions. And that's very, that's a lot of relief to me. Um, number two, I've seen us, I've seen us adapt. I've seen us turn on a dime, actually, humans. Hmm. You know, when you, if you look back at, um, when there was slavery in this country, and there was this huge fight about slavery, the fight basically came down to people saying, our world will not function without slavery. <laughs> we, our economy will crumble without slavery. You know, there was a feeling that it was a natural way to be in the world, and that in in fact, um, everything would fall apart if we if we stopped, and we stopped, at least in this country. Um, and and really, in in terms of deep time, it was in an eye blink we turned around. Mm-hmm. So I see us doing that. You watch movies about you know in the fifties, everybody in the room is smoking. We turned around. Yes. Um, so when we need to, um, and when we believe we can, we can move very very quickly. And and I'm lucky enough to live in a world where I'm constantly looking in the solution space. So I'm seeing other innovators doing amazing, innovative solutions. And I'm watching how a lot of the things that we, we need to do as a culture are being practiced in, um, I call it, you know, in, in basements all over. And, and I, I go back to, um, I'm, I'm a Slovak by, by heritage, and mm-hmm. I go back to you know, the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia in, 80, in 1989. And what happened was they had been under communist rule uh, for years. But before that, Czechoslovakia had been d- democratic. And when they, when the communists took over, the um, people just moved into basements and began to have this, this sort of shadow government where they would 
continue to meet and continue to talk about politics and, and how to govern. And they would do their concerts down there, and, you know, they would do poetry readings down there, and they continued to do their work. And then when conditions were right um, in 1989, they were able to come out of those basements in Prague and stand up and simply begin to govern, and the revolution happened because they had been practicing it. And I mm-hmm. think that's what we're doing now, too. All around the world, there are amazing um, examples of communities trying to be self-reliant. Look at the local food movement. Um, th- so those things, give me, those things give me hope. I think that the seedlings of solution are already in the forest waiting for um, the old guard uh, to fall. And, and then those seedlings that have been developing their root system will, will rise up. I, I, that's what I'm hoping. Well, I, I, I hope so, too, and I'd love to hear you describe that in the way that you did. This really interesting um, comparisons. And I know we're going to take a break in just a moment again, but I wonder for those who are new to biomimicry if you could actually, Janine, just give us one example of, um, of, a, of um, a successful uh, study of nature that you know yielded a solution. Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, there's one that I'm really interested in these days, and it's um, there's there's a um, there's a phenomenon um, that some organisms do. If you remember brine shrimp growing up, or maybe I was just such a nature nerd. Do you know? Remember, you mean what, sea remember brine shrimp? Oh yes, <laughs> right. You know, those I love them. You pour water on. Well, the phenomenon: there were little pellets that would come to you. You'd pour water on them, and then the shrimp would start moving around. These tiny little shrimp, and it was a kid's toy. And it actually inspired somebody to look and say, "Well, how is it that they sort of go into this state of suspended animation? They dry up almost completely, and somehow they're protecting their DNA and all the things that are important." And this gentleman, Bruce Rosner, um, basically said, why don't we wrap vaccines? Why don't we do what they do, but do it with vaccines? And then vaccines would not need to be refrigerated. So he's created a, there's a company called Nova Laboratories, and they, they mimicked the brine shrimp, and they found that it was a simple sugar that they sort of shrink wrap around vaccines. And without the need for refrigeration, a vaccine is now um, stable. And, you know, right now, because of the refrigeration, 50% of all recipients do not get their vaccine because the refrigeration breaks down somewhere between lab and village. This is a huge change, you know, to be able to, to do this. And not only that, but they found that they can preserve blood samples and proteins. You could basically unplug the freezers in every hospital university around the world. Um, wow, thank you. One simple little organism. Right? That is a phenomenal example. Thank you so much. We're going to take a, another break. You're listening to Janine Benyus. I'm Kate Ebner, and this is Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. 
We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. What's really going on in Washington? Listen as two of Washington's most experienced insiders, Howard Marlowe and Michael Willis, divulge the strategies of the key players affecting legislation and policy matters every week on The Inner Loop. Unlike most talk shows, which feature hosts that have little to no experience working with the federal government, The Inner Loop is hosted by two professionals who actively work to influence federal policy on a daily basis. The Inner Loop is heard live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. We're talking about... How studying nature can help us to find solutions to the problems of our times. And we just had a wonderful example before the break, Janine. And, you know, what I've been curious about, you know, I, th- I think our listeners, many of them are um, leaders in business. And I'm curious about the example that you write about in your book, um, how a business is like a forest. Could you tell us about that one? Sure. Yeah, the, you know... Uh, a business or a community or a city for that matter, we even bring biomimicry to cities, um, is akin to an ecosystem. It is what scientists call a complex adaptive system. And there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of models that we're learning in the natural world. We're understanding. One, for instance, uh, is resilience. There's a whole science called resilience theory. And uh, many businesses right now, um, the one thing they can count on is change. And uh, and how do they how do they stay resilient in the face of of disturbances, economic shocks, for instance? Well, resilient science looks at say um, say there's two coral reefs side by side, and a tsunami comes along and breaks them both apart. Now, those are complex adaptive systems, if you think of a coral reef and, and all of the organisms that live in it. It gets broken down completely. The one on the left builds back and has the same function. It, it, it rebounds, and it becomes a coral reef again. The one on the right um, never quite makes it, and it becomes a much simpler system. It doesn't function like a coral reef. The key question is, what is what are the characteristics of the one on the left that allowed it to build back. Turns out there are about nine characteristics that the systems that that system has, and being able to teach that to business, even though you're taking it from the scientific literature, it um, 
And, and scientists have looked at other systems as well, prairies and forests, and what is it that allows it to, to reassemble? Um, other lessons are um, come from, for instance, the ability of a system um, and, the, and the players in a system to cooperate. Our new understanding of mutualisms, they're called, which are mutually beneficial relationships in the natural world, and how prevalent these really are. Most business people grew up and learned about competition. And actually, there's a belief that competition is what runs ecosystems, right? And, and actually, competition is something that organisms try to get through very, very quickly. They're really not in this as much of this competitive mode as we've been led to think. So the science uh, in the last 25 years is now showing that what actually, for instance, in a forest, if you look at a forest, and, and I took a forestry degree, I was taught each, each tree was out for itself, trying to get as much water and nutrients and, and sunlight. But actually, under the ground, each tree has a, a, a fungal helper called mycorrhizae, and that helper wraps around the roots, it's just kind of a webby fungus, grabs phosphorus for the for the tree, the tree gives the fungus carbon. Now, that's a mutualism. Well, mm-hmm. what we're now learning is that that fungus is not just wrapped around one tree root, but it actually goes through the soil, wraps around the tree root next door, and the tree root next door, and the shrub, and that under the ground, there's something that I call the wood wide web. <laughs> and what's happening there is that and we've been able to radio tag uh, sugars and starches. And, and from one tree that's in the sunlight is fixing carbon dioxide into sugars. And those sugars will go down that tree through the root, through the fungal helper, and wind up in another tree a half an acre away or another shrub that's not at all related. They literally are exchanging nutrients. They're exchanging water with each other. They're exchanging chemical signals that tell them, oh, a pest has come to the forest. Beef up your defenses. So this idea of all of these organisms being in a go-it-alone world is antiquated, actually. It's not kept up with science. So that's what's really important about biomimicry. Because it is science-based, we're saying, you know, if you want to look at a complex system like a forest that persists on a piece of land for hundreds and hundreds of years and is able to um, be a, a paragon of, of, for instance, recycling materials over and over and over again, um, then we need to actually look at how those organisms are doing it. And then, you know, then you say to a, a, a company, um, what mutualistic relationships are you having with your customers? What about with your suppliers? What about, you know, could your competitors... That what people you see as your competitors, how could you hook up with them, for instance, to accomplish great tasks like doing research on new sustainable products that you need? How could you cooperate in terms of research? Um, so these we we use these um, we use something called life's principles when we work with businesses, and this is a list of about twenty five characteristics 
that we, as scientists, we look through and said, what do all organisms have, on, have in common, whether they're bacteria or elephants? What do they have in common? And they are things like this reliance on mutualisms. They're very technical things like, in the natural world, um, chemistry is done with a very small subset of the periodic table, very safe elements, whereas we use the entire periodic table. So when you talk to a company, you say, what is going into your product? And are there toxic things that you want to get rid of? Perhaps you should be looking, as you buy materials, be looking at this safe subset of the periodic table and try to trend towards purchasing within this safe subset. So it's, it's when we work with businesses, it's everything from the very, very particular like that. How do you change your chemistries to nature's chemistries all the way up to uh, models about communication, for instance? You know, the importance of feedback in the natural world. The importance, that's how organisms survive. They're constantly checking out their environment, taking in signals, and responding appropriately. Um, so how do you as a company put antenna um, as, a, as a major uh, emphasis um, as, as, as part of your business model? Um, invest in antenna and invest in good feedback. Those are the kinds of things we work with. Wonderful. Well, that's a great, you, you give us, I think, a, a wonderful uh, perspective um, using that example. And I was saying to you on the break, it's just so tempting to just sit and, and listen to example after example. But what I want to talk about since our show is called Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life, um, certainly the work you're doing is both visionary and extraordinary. And I wonder if you would be able to um, share with us your vision, Janine. And we see vision as a as uh, a picture, if you will, of the future that we really want, you know, and our show and our work at the Nebo Company invites people to look past the present and the past to allow themselves to imagine the future that they really want to create. And we kind of posit that we are, we are the visionaries the world needs, right? We need to, we need to all kind of pick up our heads and be willing to see a future we really want, not just inherit a future that we feel uh, resigned to because we don't see that we can create what we really want. So I'd love to just invite you to tell us your vision of the future and you can, you know, you can make it be a vision 2020 or a vision 2050 or a hundred years. You have a concept of deep time, so you might even be able to go out farther, but what do you see? Well, I, you know, I would hope that we're moving here by 2020. Um, and I think, you know, one of the life's principles is that the, the vastly predominant um, energy source on the planet is current sunlight. So I think we are we are moving to current sunlight. Um, we're using uh, solar. We've we figured out from organisms how to store that solar, how to split water, and for for instance, and perhaps take that hydrogen and turn it into uh, fuels or turn it into put it in fuel cells. But our our main source is current sunlight, not ancient photosynthesis. That's fossil fuels, but current sunlight. That would change things dramatically. Um, the other thing is that it's a cyclic economy, meaning um, we have found a way to close the landfills on the planet. Um, to uh, companies have have uh, no dumpsters. <laughs> 
and no smokestacks. In other words, whatever, and this, this is possible because it happens in, say, that forest, whatever is the quote-unquote waste product of an organism is food for the other organism. And, it, and we need to do that in our, in our story of stuff, in the way we make things. We, have, we need to take what we now see as the byproducts, the emissions, and the, the waste. The t- 90, right now when we make a product, it's 96% waste and 4% product. Mm. That becomes uh, reversed. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we, we literally uh, are able to have very little waste. But the waste we have is used by some other company next door. So we have a cyclic economy. I think we would also have a very locally uh, self-reliant and locally, um, uh, I think that manufacturing will become distributed. One of the key things in the natural world is that uh, if, you, if you, let's go back to that forest, um, each, you know, solar is being captured uh, locally um, on each leaf. Uh, wastewater is being treated locally. So buildings would gather their own sunlight. They would treat their own wastewater. Um, and, and even more importantly, um, when materials like cellulose are being made, they're being made locally in safe manufacturing processes that use local materials. And this, I think, is, I think, what's going to be coming, and it's coming on very quickly, uh, is what's called 3D printing or additive manufacturing. That's going to be, it's also called additive manufacturing, meaning um, it's a, it, it's, 3D printing is creating, say, the coffee cup you're drinking out of um, in a printer that lays down layer by layer by layer the 3D the, the 3D object, the cup, um, using a computer program that says each layer, you know, put down this much ceramic, and then another layer, here's the next circle, and you build it up. And these are becoming very, very inexpensive. So hmm. this idea of manufacturing, whole new ways of manufacturing, that is safe enough to be in your neighborhood, small neighborhood scale manufacturing, I think, is going to happen because... I, I think that fossil fuels will just become too dear, um, and shipping long distances um, is going to become, you know, we're only going to want to do that for very, very particular items, not for everything. Wow. I think that's going to happen, um, and I think that we're going to find a way to do our agriculture in a way that um, actually builds and enhances soil rather than rather than depletes it. We're going to learn to be able to grow our food locally. Uh, I just got back from Oberlin, um, a city in Ohio, that is uh, planning to have 70% of their food grown within 10 miles of their, of their city. I think that will be happening. I think you'll have vertical farms in cities. Um, you'll have, so the food will be local. The materials will be more local. The, the Things you buy will be more local, um, and and I think we'll learn to as we move. You know, eighty percent of by by twenty fifty, eighty percent of people will will live in cities. I think those cities um, 
will begin to task themselves with being uh, contributing members of their watershed. That is, uh, the city, instead of producing pollutants, will actually produce cleaner air and cleaner water and send that downstream. You know, Ginny, um, your, your vision is, um, you know, I feel like we, I should have asked you this question at the beginning of the hour so that we could just see what you're seeing, but we need to take a short break. Okay. And when we come back, I'm going to have you, have you finish it up and, and I have one more question for you. We'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. You've been listening to Janine Benyus, who's co-founder of Biomimicry 3.8, the global leader in biomimicry innovation consulting. She's the uh, the person who named biomimicry, which I didn't realize, but I, I, I love to know that. And Janine, you were sharing a vision of a future that you know we're already working on right now. Is there anything you want to say in closing about that vision? Well, I, I would just say that... Um the most important thing about that vision is keeping in mind how it's going to feel, to live in that. And one of the things, um, the benefits of living like that um, is we're going to have a lot less guilt. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's, it's going to be uh, like coming home to this planet. Um, I think that we will begin to... Um, uh, enjoy living in our places. I mean, you, you know, I have a friend who says uh, to their to audiences that she talks to, uh, she's an architect, and talks to architectural audiences and says, when were you most happy? Close your eyes and think of a time when you're really, 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 really happy and peaceful and in your happy spot. And uh, 90% of the audiences say that she says, she, they open their eyes and she says, were you outside? Ninety percent of the people, and she says, "Hey, you build buildings, so it's going to feel <laughs> like we're outside." Mm-hmm. That's I what love I'm hoping. That. 
that it's going to feel like it's that, you know, it's that lush and, and that livable uh, to be in, in the places we, we, we have created. Well, that is a, that is an inspiring vision and it, it, it is a wonderful invitation, I think, for all of us to, um, to open our eyes to what's, what's happening right now and what's being studied and learned and, and applied. And certainly it's, it's a, an invitation. Maybe it's also a challenge given some of the urgency that's out there. You know, we work so much with leadership as a, uh, as much as a, as a concept as we do with actual leaders. But I'm curious, you know, Janine, if we, we were looking to nature, to inspire us about excellence in leadership, who should we look to? What parts of nature can show us something we can use? Hmm. Well, that's, it's an interesting question because um, if you look at nature as a whole, um, you really don't have leaders sitting in a forest saying, well, you know, we really should uh, move our... <laughs> You know, that, that, that waste product should become the food for that other. There's really not a committee sitting there. It's not top-down mm-hmm. leadership mm-hmm. in the natural world. Actually, what you, and you know, we can talk about, uh, chimpanzee troops and gorillas and silverbacks and I, I try to stay away from that because we're, each species has its own strategy. We're a completely different kind of species. So it's, it's better to sort of, I think, look to how an ecosystem assembles itself. And and what you have is what's called self-organization, self-assembly, self-organization in the natural world. I mean, look at, for instance, the school of fish. Who's the leader in the school of fish? You see a, you know, a, a, a school of fish or a flock of birds. You know, you watch this tight flock of birds moving through the air, and they're they're turning and they look as if they're all coordinated and in fact they are there's really not a single leader the leadership is in each of them and that is they have simple rules to follow that number one they understand that they're part of this flock right there's a whole flock awareness uh, they know they're part of this flock and that staying with this flock is in their best interest for sure they are constantly uh, figuring out where they are in relation to the center of the flock. And they're listening, they're paying close attention to the bird on their left and their right and in front of them and behind them. And they're staying a certain distance away. They're in the middle of that and they're, they're keeping a, a constant speed with one another. And the leadership, if you will, um, which in a flock of birds would be, you know, the organisms that are on the outside, on the periphery, if they see a hawk, for instance, they begin to turn and the rest of the flock goes with them. Now, at another moment, the hawk might come from behind and suddenly the leaders are the ones that are in the back, right? So leadership moves around. The leader's kind of leadership that we think of, it moves around and it's also, it has to be within each organism. So I think self-organization is a really cool thing to look at. Um, how do you embed in each individual in a team enough understanding of what the whole is trying to accomplish that the leadership gets as close to the work as possible? And that's Excellent. one of many, many things we could look at. Well, I think looking at 
looking at this is uh, offers us an, an enormous, unlimited number of possibilities for considering, you know, what the world needs now in terms of, you know, how we lead, how we how we live and interact in a global economy, how we share resources um, at the macro and at the micro level. And there's, there seems to me there's so much um, richness in, in looking to nature for some, some guidance and some models. You know, I, I think what we're, what we're hearing often about it, in the work I do is the world's getting more and more complex. It's harder and harder to manage it. You know, the, the old paradigm isn't working and that old paradigm is that sort of hierarchical leader knows best um kind of a model you know so I, I love the examples that you're offering because I think they 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 give us new ways of thinking about who we are as part of an endeavor and and where leadership is located and who leads and what leadership looks like so yeah you know it's really we we came to this ourselves as a company um, our company is biomimicry 3.8 this consulting company and we also have a nonprofit institute and we realized that um, what was actually happening was that biomimics, we had trained people for 14 years. We've been training people eight-month courses, two-year courses. They've gone back to their home countries and their regions in the U.S., and they have wanted to start their own consulting practice, their own institute. And we realized nature distributes information mm-hmm. through networks, mm-hmm. and not through hierarchies. So we had the opportunity to grow our own company to be the world headquarters. And what we realized, no, the network is already forming. Our job now is to connect, convene, and support this network, equip them to do their job. I mean, our business model has changed to one of really supporting and uh, connecting uh, the biomimicry practitioners around the world. And that's, that came straight from looking at how nature would, would spread, uh, and amplify an idea with fidelity around the world. Fantastic. You know, Janine, thank you so much. We are at the end of our time together. Um, you've been listening to Janine Benyus. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have you with me today, Janine. And tell me um, quickly, where, what's the name of your website? Where can people go to learn more about your work? Uh, www.biomimicry.net. Absolutely. And I highly recommend um, Janine's writing and also her TED Talk for those of you who like to see something online. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Kate. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life.